Father, we thank you today. I thank you for each family, each man, each lady that's gathered here today. God, I'm asking that right now as we have worshipped you, as we have given you praise and glory, now God, would you let the word of God come alive to us. Lord, that it's not just the archaic writings of something in a book, but Lord, your word that the word that, 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 that you have told us is, is alive, it's quick, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able, like a surgeon's scalpel, to divide asunder of the joints and the marrow, to get in the middle and the very center of our being. God, your word pierces us and it causes us. Lord, it sharpens our conscience. And I ask right now that you would let that happen today. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you'd like, again, we welcome each and every one of our guests and friends here today. I thank you for your worship. And I, uh, I want you to hear the Word of God and, and uh, listen to what the Word of God says. And uh, before, I got st- before I get started, brother, uh, Sister Sharla, at the beginning of that song, she uh, told that devotion. And I don't know why my brain went there. But uh, many of you have have read or heard, maybe even you have a copy at your house somewhere, that Footprints poem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The one that says there were two sets of footprints and then uh, it seemed to correlate with the, the, the time of a person's life and he began to realize that that was where God had walked with him. And then he, he noticed that there was a time in which uh, maybe even some of the harder parts of his life, there was only one set. And of course, as the poem plays out, that was where God had carried them. Someone later on, and I don't have it in front of me, somebody later on kind of rewrote it and said that there was another portion of that and there was two long furrows in the ground and that's where the Lord drags you kicking and screaming when you're stubborn. Sometimes he does that to us. Now I've told you many times God's a gentleman and he's not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do but just as we have to sometimes help our children along, sometimes I need God to drag me a bit until I get my head on straight and then I'll get my feet under me and I'll, I'll walk with him. There's a, a portion of scripture, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to not necessarily read it. I'd rather let the narration of that kind of play out through the sermon. But I'd like you to turn, if you will, to uh, the, the last verse of John chapter 7 on to the first part of John chapter 8. It's a familiar portion of scripture. In fact, it's a, it's a portion of scripture that is uh, played out in many Easter dramas and uh, different places. It, it has uh, within the, the, the story, and I, I don't mean story in the, in the sense that it's something that's fiction, but in the, in the playing out of events, it lends itself to a very vivid picture that plays out. Can you imagine this is after an... an uh, I know we have preachers in the midst and you've, you've had that same problem when you're studying and you start finding out other things in the Word of God. You start seeing other things and you, you, you kind of have too much to preach and that's how I am today. I'm going to have to come back to John chapter 7 at a later time and preach because I uh, began to see some incredible parallels in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is where Jesus stood up at that feast of booths or feasts of tabernacles and, and while they're bringing that pitcher of water in a ceremonial uh, type parade Jesus stands up on the last day verse 37 of John 7 and says uh, if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whosoever believes in me as the scripture has said 
out of his belly, or even, if you will, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, which they were going to receive, but he had not yet been uh, resurrected. He would not yet been glorified, so they're going to have to wait a moment. But it's that time, and at the end of chapter 7, everybody goes home. The tabernacle, or the Feast of Tabernacles is over. Those that have gathered in Jerusalem had gone back to their homes, and Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. In John chapter 8 and verse 2, and that's where I want you to catch, early one morning as Jesus was prone to do when he was around Jerusalem, he goes into the temple. Now, the temple was a, a holy place. It was a place of structure. It was a place of worship. It was a place of, of ritual. It was a place of, of salvation at this point because uh, they were still, if you will, living with that law. And as he sits down there in the outskirts of that temple in the outer courts and he begins to teach, people are gathering to him, people are flocking to him, and he sits in that seat as a rabbi or as a teacher and he is telling them and trying to explain that the scriptures that are read and the scriptures that are quoted are more than just ritual but they are coming to pass. If you remember another place in scripture where Jesus sat in the temple or in the synagogue rather and, and he asked them to bring him a scroll which would have been their Bible if you will and he unrolls that scroll to the book of Isaiah and he begins to read and probably even quote from the book of Isaiah and when he's done after saying you know he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, he rolls that scroll up and he says today this is fulfilled in your midst. One of the things as I uh, continue to study the Bible, and, and, and let me just remind you, you're never going to know enough about the Bible to quit studying the Word of God. If you don't believe me, I want you to talk to Brother Farino, one of the most learned, studied men I've ever been around. And he'll tell you he's still finding things that God shows him and how it all puts together. I love the Word of God. And as I read the Word of God, I am struck by how they had the, the absolute revelation of God and of the Messiah in their midst, and they missed it. The one that was going to set them free was sitting in the middle of that temple on that day and he was there, he was, he was speaking to them. Some were receiving, others were distant and they missed it. During this time, the scribes and the Pharisees, I mean, I, I can only imagine that it had to have been quite an event. Uh, there's been times all of us have been in a service where something maybe disrupts the service. It could be a, a baby. It could be a car alarm going off. It could be something deeper or bigger than that. We've all had those moments and it just kind of everybody turns. Can you imagine as the scribes, the Bible says, the scribes and the Pharisees are dragging a woman into the midst of the temple. I don't know exactly where Jesus was standing. We know that, that the temple had various courts. It had a court where only the Gentiles could go. It had another inner place where only the ladies could go. It had another inner court that only the men, the Jewish men could go. And then, of course, it had the very in, uh, center parts where only the high priest and the priest could go. I don't know exactly where they were sitting at that moment, but here they come. They're dragging this lady. They're making a big deal. I can imagine there were tear streaks down on her face. She knew 
what the penalty was for the sin of adultery. She knew what was happening. This was more than just a, a, uh, an attempt to kind of mess Jesus up. There was, if you will, a legal precedent that had been set. I did, did a little research, and, and sometimes it, it, your, your research takes you to uh, things that are, that are maybe not necessarily spelled out in the Bible, but Jewish historians will tell you, or, or those that are, that are uh, of the rabbi teachings will tell you. And it seems to indicate that there was a certain uh, uh, procedure when a woman and a man had committed adultery. You can look back into uh, the laws that you find in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. That if a, a, a couple was found in adultery, there would be somehow two witnesses uh, that would bring them into uh, the tabernacle in the temple before the high priest, and there the priest would hear the charge that was given. The, the law, Moses' law, was very, uh, 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 it was very clear. If you committed adultery, you were stoned. Now, the Moses' law said you had to bring both of them. Moses' law said there had to be two witnesses. Moses' law said they would come and the priest would hear it out. Again, in my research and study, I found that there was an understanding that the priest would write in the dust there of the tabernacle or the temple, would write the, the charge that was given. And then he would allow for a, 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 a judgment cast. Problem was, nowadays that the Romans were in charge, the Jews were not allowed to kill. They were not allowed to have capital punishment. That was reserved only for the Romans. And so there was a certain thing that would have to go on. And So they brought this woman into the midst of, of Jesus and they wanted Jesus to say, yes, she sinned, let's stone her. And of course, everybody would have picked up stones and stoned her. And then they would have taken Jesus to the magistrates of, of, of the Roman rule and said, this man, uh, he, he, he told us we should stone her. And people did, and he incited a riot. They had it all planned out. But as the Bible begins to record, he was bending down writing. Now there's a lot of speculation what he wrote. And, and, and I, I would tell you that, that there's a lot of sermons that have a lot of different things in it that, that we would like to say he wrote. I have no idea to be honest, but I am going to show you today something that he might have wrote. But he sits down there in the midst of that and, and he's just riding in the dust there, perhaps on the stones of that temple. And they are giving all of the charges of this lady and all of the sins. There wasn't a fact of her life that they didn't throw out. There was not one horrid or lurid uh, affair or sordid affair that they didn't try to uh, bring forth. It had to have been an incredibly embarrassing moment for that lady, a moment of shame, of guilt, of condemnation, as she stood there and they threw out all of the charges and yet still he wrote. It got to be where they realized he's not listening if you will he's not looking at them and so they got louder they got more uh, enthusiastic they probably got into Jesus's face a little bit and said are you hearing what we said finally he stood up perhaps the, the crowd quieted as they eagerly awaited the judgment there's something about mankind we enjoy other people's judgment 
All you got to do is look through history. Some of the greatest, and I don't mean greatest as good, I'm talking about uh, some of the events that drew large crowds were when they'd hang somebody in the public square. They'd let the guillotine blade fall down and chop somebody's head off. Something about it. We enjoy other people's judgment. We don't like it when it affects us. And so Jesus stood up. The crowd quieted. And he said something they didn't expect. Let him who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Now, I'm going to step out of the Bible. I know it, and and this is just my imagination. So just understand, it's my imagination. Jesus had a sarcastic streak that ran through him. Especially when it came to scribes and Pharisees because he understood the, the, what their heart was, was like. He understood how they had twisted scripture and he, he, he called them, he, he said your, your holiness is like whitewashed painted tombs. You look good on the outside but inside you're full of dead men's bones. He knew who he was talking to. I, I don't recommend this necessarily this type of, uh, of, of teaching or leadership, but I remember when I was in, at a, a youth camp, uh, Sister Stacy, I think you were probably there uh, helping out, and um, I remember there was a, a guy at camp, Brother uh, Keith, you, you, you'll know who I'm talking about, I'm not going to mention names, but you'll maybe even remember the situation, but there was a, a guy there, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips, he, he just kind of had an arrogant streak in him and a prideful streak, and he was a bully, to be honest. He wasn't very big, but he liked to, to show himself, and he liked to pick on those. And there was an old country kid who was as backwards as could be. He didn't have any couth. He didn't have any, 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 any manners. He was as backward as can be. And uh, one day, that this, this bully got a hold of, of that backwards kid, and he was pushing him for all he's worth, and he started kind of punching and hitting him, and, and that that. that poor backwards country kid just had enough and he roundhouse kicked that bully in the face and dislocated his jaw. Of course, I'm sitting back there going, yeah. <laughs> well, the, they, 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 took the, they took the bully, to, I guess, to the doctor, the hospital, whatever, and you know, fixed his jaw, got it back in place. And he showed up that night and he was going to let that uh, backwards farm kid have it. He had grabbed a baseball bat out of his car and he was coming and he was going to take it. Well, um, one of the counselors, Brother Trent Sheeran, kind of stopped all the proceedings. Now, I don't recommend acting the way Trent did, but it, it worked at that moment. But man, that, that bully was ready to just smash him in. He had his bat. He was ready to go. He was shaking with anger. And Trent got up there in, in the bully's face and he said, all right, I'm going to let you take one swing at him. Go ahead, hit him. And that bully just shook. Come on, hit him. Come on, hit him. And finally that bully, I remember it was probably tears of anger, but he began to cry and he threw down the bat and he ran out because he just couldn't do it. That's the feeling I get with Jesus. I get the feeling that he looks over that crowd that is shaking in rage and anger and they want to let that poor lady die and maybe Jesus picks up a stone and hands it to somebody and says, here you go, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Go ahead, thump her in the head. He goes to the next, are you ready? Go ahead and thump her in the head. And the Bible says, especially the King James Version, it says that starting from the eldest to the youngest, it says being convicted by their own conscience. 
Jesus didn't have to call them out. Jesus didn't have to do it. Jesus didn't have to say, I know what you've done, I know what you've done. But the conscience within them and one by one stones studded to the ground until they left starting from the oldest who had the most sin just because of the years they had lived to the youngest. And finally, Jesus stood in front of that lady and said to her, Woman, who, where'd they go? Where are your accusers? She looked around and she says, I don't see anybody. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, we've heard that story. I've preached a lot of different ways on that story. I've preached that we got to be careful the stones that we want to throw. Lest it comes back to us. We can preach the salvation of Jesus Christ. The one that that ultimately could have... uh, 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 spoke a judgment against her. Now, the Bible says that she was caught in the act of adultery, but to be honest, I don't know if she had or not. No no witnesses were there at the end. No accusers were there at the end. Could it have all been a trumped-up excuse to bring an innocent woman and try to get an innocent woman killed? I don't know. But if anybody in that building knew the truth, Jesus did. But I'm struck by a similar portion of scripture. I cannot tell you if this is connected completely. I cannot tell you if this is what Jesus wrote, but it seems to indicate something. And I want to bring your attention to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. In the book of Jeremiah chapter 17, it starts with this uh, powerful scripture. And again, I'm reading the English Standard Version. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron with the point of diamond. It's engraved upon the tablet of their heart and the horns of their altar. It seems, and again, this is Jeremiah talking to a backslidden Judah, a backslidden people of God that have left their first love. In fact, as you go forth in verse 2 and 3 and 4, it says that your children are remembering all of those altars that you made and those, uh, uh, for, for lack of a better word, totem pole idols that you erected. And, and they remember that beside every green tree and upon every hill and every mountain, all of that you sacrifice to false gods the understanding is this the sin became engraved upon their heart not with just something that smudged but the point of iron the pin the point of a diamond it was a a something that was so uh, uh, branded upon their heart they could never forget it it's the conscience that we have See, this is what's very interesting about the forgiveness of God, and that is that God can forgive you, and the Bible says that God even forgets your sin, but it says nothing about us forgetting our sin. And some of you, that there's moments in which you close your eyes at night, and even though you're forgiven, I'm not saying even in a guilty manner, because I do think that is the thing that God removes when we are forgiven and when we are saved. He removes the guilt of our sin, but we remember it. But have you ever, have, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, have you ever committed a sin and, and every time you close your eyes at night, that sin is burned there and you see it and you relive it, not in a good way, but you relive that, that conscience begins to hammer within you and that sin is written with a pen of iron and with the point of diamond. 
Jeremiah begins to continue to preach and he begins to say because of your sin you're going to lose everything all of your treasure, all of your wealth I'm going to give to the enemy for a spoil you're going to lose your hand from the heritage that I gave you you're going to serve a foreign country in a foreign place uh, you're going to be exiled out of that I will make you and, 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 and it goes on to say cursed is the man that, or cursed is the man who trusts in man who makes flesh or his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord he shall be like a shrub in the desert he shall not see any good come he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an uninhabited salt land that sin becomes so engraved but in a reference to probably Psalms chapter 1 Jeremiah also says but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for his leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought nor does he cease to bear fruit. But watch this next portion of scripture. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick who can understand it. A question has been raised, who can search the heart? It reminds me of the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verse 23, where it says, and we sing an old hymn, if you will, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my way. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The question was raised, who searches the heart? Who looks on the inside? And the answer goes in verse 10 of Jeremiah 17, I the Lord search the heart. I the Lord test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his I'm trying to link these two passages of scripture because they're in a broken heap at the feet of Jesus surrounded by arrogant people that had stones in their hand there was one who could test the heart there was one who could try the spirit there was one who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what was in each and every one of them and so it was that they stood there but I want to take your attention to the book or, or to the book of Jeremiah chapter 17 and I want you to look at verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel. A very simple translation and I don't speak Hebrew. I can't even claim to be even a scholar of Hebrew, but a very simplistic translation of that word hope means a cleanser or a restorer. So they said, O oh Lord, the hope, the restorer, the cleansing of Israel. All who forsake you shall be put to shame. And those, watch this, those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living water. If you take that verse... 
and you go into John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am that living water. I, and I know I'm pulling from other verses right now, I am the water that you drink and never thirst again. I am the baptism that you can receive that can cleanse you of all of your sin, your guilt, and your shame. But I wonder, and maybe I'm stretching it, but I wonder when Jesus wrote in the dirt, I wonder if he was writing their names. I wonder if he was writing those that held the stones. He was not writing the name of the woman crumpled in a heap, but perhaps he was writing their name. And maybe, just maybe, they remembered that verse they would have heard and they would have read in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 13. Oh Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living water. But it's verse 14 that brings it all together. It's verse 14 that connects Jeremiah to the hope that that lady had at the feet of Jesus. For Jeremiah wrote in verse 14, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, uh, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. For behold, they say unto me, Where is the word of the Lord? Let it come. Those that gathered there on that day in the tabernacle were not wanting to see redemption. They were not wanting to see restoration. They were not wanting to hear the word of the Lord. They simply wanted death to come to someone that may not have even deserved it. But when the God of all justice stood there, And when the God who is the God of the Old Testament, in fact, many times in the New Testament, it says that everything about Jesus and everything about this hinges on the words of the prophets of the law and of the historical books. Jesus stood there and he knew better than anybody else. Jesus said, I'm the restorer. I'm the cleanser. All you have to do is Jeremiah said heal me I know I've sinned and come short of the glory of God heal me restore me I know there's those that want the word of God to come but they don't understand what's what's in that They, they want judgment to fall but they don't realize that that cleanser you can either have your name written in the dust which is a temporary thing or you can have your name written in the Lamb's book of life And I would much prefer the latter. That woman standing there or kneeling however it was at that time. She stood there at Jesus and she would have known whether or not she sinned. So many things were done wrong that day. There was no man brought. I'm not the brightest person in the world but I know adultery takes two. Where's the man? Although there's Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes there, there's no mention of the witnesses. Seems to me that it was a kangaroo court. It wasn't right. They weren't even following their own law. Going on in verse in John chapter 8, verse 12, after that, after Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. 
It's the second I am statement that you find in the book of John. Jesus, in that, if you'll let me kind of give you uh, another way of looking that Jesus was telling them, I am the light that even illuminates the law. You came and you thought you could kind of mess everything up, but I'm showing you how far away from the law you've gotten. You can't even do what's written down. But I'm not here just to condemn the world. I'm not here just to throw everybody out and say I'm done. Even though it may have been some times where the Lord said, I repent that I even made man. They've walked away. It drives me crazy. The arrogance of their sin. But here Jesus stood. And I think he heard a cry of Jeremiah. Heal me and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. I don't know why everything that Jesus wrote, but that's not what matters today. What matters is what Jesus can erase. Jesus looked at that woman, and again, going on the assumption that she had really sinned, when they walked away convicted of their conscience. Jesus didn't tell them to leave, by the way. They could have stayed there and they could have asked forgiveness and God could have done the same thing that he was about to do to that lady. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now this is an interesting time frame. It's, it's, a, it's a time frame between the law and between the book of Acts, the, the, the time where the Holy Ghost is poured out and repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, there's a time in which Jesus walked on the earth that God became flesh. God is standing in their midst and whatever God says works. And God said, in one just sentence, I'm going to take away your sin and I'm going to give you the ability to go and sin He healed her. We, we, we talk a lot about it, and I believe it. I, I, I've seen some healings in my life. Others here in this place have seen some incredible miracles take place. Those that have been able to go overseas, there are incredible miracles there. And, and I'll tell you right now, if, if somebody died and we prayed for them and they came back to life, that's an incredible miracle. Somebody was blind and, and, and God opened their eyes, I'd shout for joy. If deaf ears were unstopped, it would be amazing. But the greatest miracle that can ever happen is the one that says, I forgive you and I cleanse you. Now go and sin no more. Would you stand today? I've linked an Old Testament to a New Testament revelation. Go and sin no more. Even though the sin might be inscribed on our hearts and our conscience as if it was carved by stone or carved by a, a, a pen of diamond. I would tell you today that God says I can even cover that. For I'm the hope of Israel. I'm the restorer of Israel. I'm the living water you can drink and never thirst again. And I believe that today 
There are some that need to come into his presence. You're not being dragged today. No one's going to throw you up around the altar. No one's going to pick a stone and stand behind you. This comes between you and God alone. Because now you can boldly stand in his presence. And you can say, God, I'm broken. Lord, I know the sin that's written. I feel that guilt and that shame. I see all of that that's written so deep in my heart. God, it, it, in my conscience cries each and every waking moment of my life. Lord, I know what I've done. But God, I'm coming into your presence. Would you cleanse me? Would you wash me white as snow? Would you forgive me of the sin that I've committed, Lord? Would you fill me with your presence? that I might go and sin no more. Father, right now across this building, I'm preaching to those who, who are hearing the word of God. Lord, we all face those sins that are so deeply imprinted on our soul. But God, right now the hope stands here today. You said today is the day of salvation. Right now is an acceptable time. There's nothing that should hinder this. God, you're here. Yes, you're a God of justice. Yes, you're a God that, that, that demands that, that the law was followed. But Lord, that blood that you shed on Calvary, you took our place. You ransomed us. You redeemed us by your blood, the spotless blood of an innocent lamb, lamb of God. Lord, I pray right now that you would.